Breaking and Entering, Drunk and Disorderly, Law and Order. A former prosecutor and a defence lawyer, not your typical pairing. And the result? Conversations about crime and punishment that are guaranteed to get you thinking. Welcome to Justice Matters with Joe Crowley and Lizzie Green, a brand new weekly podcast. Our episodes are available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and YouTube. Check out our Instagram for clips at Justice Matters Pod. Enjoy the episode. This episode contains descriptions of violence, sexual violence, including violence towards children. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Lizzie. Hello, Joe. How are you? I am good. All right. Well, I'm very excited to do um, this second part of our deep dive into the um, conviction and then acquittal of Raymond John Carroll for the murder of Deirdre Kennedy. Yes. So for anyone who didn't listen to our last episode, you might want to go back and listen to that first because I did get quite immersed in the facts and what happened was we spent an entire episode talking about the facts of the case of Deirdre Kennedy and the murder of her. And then the investigation um, into Raymond Carroll as the murderer. Yes. Um, And we stopped after he had been acquitted of the murder by the Court of Appeal. By the Court of Appeal. So he's convicted at the trial by the jury and then the Court of Appeal acquit him. That's right. Quash his conviction and so acquit him. So he's now back free in the community. And this is in 1985. Yes. So the murder occurs in 1973. Yes. And then there's a long period of time with lots of investigation which eventually ends up with him being charged. Yeah, yep. charged, convicted, acquitted on acquitted. appeal. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to pick it up from there because yeah. there's more to the story. This is quite, you know, it's been quite a um, significant case, cases. Yes. Uh, through the years. Yeah. You know, I think you said you it was uh, something you recall from your childhood. I certainly recall um, stuff about it from my childhood. And it, this was, we should say it again, thanks to uh, our listener Jessica Hodge, who suggested this because she grew up out at Ipswich where this occurred. And although she uh, was much younger than Deirdre Kennedy would have been, she recalls it from her childhood, people talking about it and her father talking about it. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it's... It is one of those cases that I think just does grip the people who know about it yeah. because because of, you know, the tiny victim, yeah. the family heartache and the lack of justice yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, and that, as we said in the first episode, you know, a, a parent's worst nightmare, you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning and one of your children has been abducted from the house and has been murdered. Yes. Yeah. Just I a horrible. Can't even imagine. I literally can't even imagine. Yeah. I lost my third child at Big W one time. Yeah. For maybe four minutes. Yes. And I was beside myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I, I mean, anybody who's had children, I'm sure, has had a similar experience out shopping. And yeah, it is just the worst feeling in the world that you don't know where your child can't is. Can't even think straight. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, so he has been acquitted by the Court of Appeal and goes off to live his life. But the Well, he moved into state very okay. quickly with his family yes. after that acquittal. And then the Queensland Police and prosecutors continue. They do. So later that year, after he'd been acquitted, yes. um, someone who'd been on the 
Air Force Base in Darwin at the same time that Carol had been, it was a woman, recalled that back in 1975, she'd had conversations with Joy, the the ex-wife, about the bruising on Raymond Carroll and Joy's daughter, which the ex-wife alleged to police he had bitten their daughter on her thighs when she was a baby, which led to the marriage breakdown. Yeah, so the quick recap. So Raymond Carroll is observed by his wife having bitten his own daughter. She didn't see him bite, right, but, but they, he was behind closed doors. The baby was crying and then she would find yes. the bruises afterwards. Yes. They subsequently divorced because of that. Yep. And But that evidence goes before the jury as propensity evidence in his trial. That's right. And he is convicted. And then in... The Court of Appeal, I think, were critical of that evidence going before yes. them as well on the basis that it was very prejudicial. Yes. But so this this new witness yes. said she actually saw the bruises um, on Raymond Carroll's daughter back in you know the 1970s yeah. and asked the ex-wife, Joy, about it. And she said at that time that they were bite marks. So any suggestion she had come up with this story uh-huh. down the track is now gone okay this was corroborating evidence at the time that it happened sure not sure it advances the case too much it's interesting um but also then in 97 we had some advances in digital imaging techniques yes which led to some groundbreaking developments Mm. in forensic dental technology yes so this might be the rigorous testing you were Hoping for. Not according to the Court of Appeal and High Court, <laughs> but yes, keep going. Um, so now they could do this thing where they could um, create a unique barcode from an offender's or an individual's teeth. Oh, my Lord. This is just, just you've already because lost you me. don't so understand it doesn't mean it's not good. Well, assuming I am a reasonably intelligent person, then you're not you a know. dentist. New software had also been developed to. Um, help experts when they were looking at images of teeth and transpose them onto images of bite marks. So that sounds a little more rigorous than a visual identification. Sure. And so the evidence from Deirdre Kennedy's case was re-examined. They actually discovered another set of much fainter marks that had been missed during the original examination. That sounds very strange because they're working off... To remind but they everyone, have enhanced, photographs. But they've got enhanced digital technology now. Okay. Well, I, I, I've, I've done a case where they have photographs of an injury and then subsequently they talk about the photographs and what they see and, oh, they've seen stuff later. And, you know, it, it's all, all right. done. Well, I don't even want to tell you the next thing. Oh, okay. But tell the turns out, I'll just sit here turns out that in light of the advanced technologies, the original odontologists had been looking at the bite mark upside down. <laughs> okay, so, right. So, we just remind them. I hope the listeners have listened to the first part of okay. this and my Which is a, criticisms. Is. That the, is a big revelation. I understand yes. that. But regardless, with the new technology, with the new mm. method, mm. with the enhanced mm. visuals, yes. the forensic odontologist said he had no doubt at all 
mm. about Raymond John Carroll being the person who had inflicted All those right. bite marks. Can I just say something about that? What? Because I am always very sceptical of scientists who say they have no doubt at all. Because when you talk to scientists, they mostly say, I'm pretty sure. They almost never nail it. Maybe that definitely just really is. is great evidence against Carol. And well, I think it's. I think it, it, it always raises red flags with me. Can I also point out the confirmation bias that seems to be going on here? So they go, we've got this new technology. Let's use it to analyse the this old evidence and get our expert in and say, you know, here's, here's Raymond John Carroll. We thought he did it and he was acquitted. You know, can you just check with this new technology? So, you know, if they're going in like that, the the, the expert has a confirmation bias. They're not yeah. going, listen, here's 10 random well, sets of Well, now I don't teeth. want to tell you the next piece of new evidence either. Mm, go on then. So tell apparently when Raymond Carroll mm. was um, in prison, yes, he crossed paths with another Prisoner. Prisoner mm. called Trevor. Okay. And Trevor said that they were chatting mm. and Carol had asked him, do you know anything about bite marks? And he said, why? And that he thought they were as good as fingerprints in Trevor's opinion. Right. Um, which seemed to unsettle Carol. Mm. And so then they're still chatting and Swift tells Carol what he got arrested for. And Carol allegedly said he got arrested for the murder of the baby at Ipswich and that a day or so later that was still chatting and, and Trevor asked some more questions. And um, Carol said to him he'd been out stealing women's underwear when he stumbled upon an open window, looked in, saw the baby inside, things got out of hand, he abducted the baby and then abused and strangled the baby. Okay. My first impression <laughs> is that jailhouse snitch testimony is always unreliable. Now, I'm, having said that, the description of what happened s- of what what was his name? Steve Spike Trevor Trevor. Sorry, the the description that Trevor gives is is quite detailed, and so that tends, to, I think, on first blush, give it a ring of truth. So because, he, you know, how does he know about these, uh, the the details? I mean, maybe he read it in the paper. Well, he might have because this conversation or these conversations yes. would have taken place like in 84. Yes. And now we're in 97. Yes. So it's been some time. He hasn't come forward earlier with yes. this information. Yes. He didn't tell anyone at the time. Oh, no. actually, no, he did tell someone at the time. Yes. But that was a prison guard who's dead now. Right. So no good. No. No well, help. No help, sorry. No help. So they um, did think that this was worth noting. Revisiting. Trevor's information was Mm. of some value. Yes. So they knew that double jeopardy meant, double jeopardy meaning you can't be twice put at risk of conviction for the same wrongful conduct. So because he's already been charged and now acquitted of the murder of Deirdre, he can't be. He cannot be retried on can, that charge. Can we pause here and just uh, just unpack the, the the public policy reasons behind that rule? Yes, go. Uh, so, I mean, it's an ancient rule mm. that comes to us through the common law. Eight hundred years. Eight hundred years. Wow. And the, as I understand it, reasons behind it is because the prosecuting authorities, the the crown, uh, have. Uh, endless resources and endless time. So they could re-prosecute <laughs> you 
uh, you know, as much as they liked. Yeah, they prosecute you, you're acquitted. They just get another jury, prosecute you again, you're acquitted. They You've prosecute never you again. in a prosecutor's office. There the, the, is not endless time. No, no well, but sorry, there's endless time in that uh, the prosecutor who retires is then replaced by another prosecutor oh, yes. who then retires right. who's then replaced by another prosecutor yes, so right. so that although the the people change the 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 fact that it's an open file doesn't change it's yes, there and can impacted. be worked on yes yeah. all right and, uh, and i've seen that uh not in the prosecution service but in the police service when i've had uh, clients you know have had very long-standing matters and you know you they're just i had a guy who was pursued for a um a breach of parole which was how many uh it was 20 years earlier the breach and the uh sorry the breach of a suspended sentence the sentence that he was convicted on was for a, an offense that had occurred 20 years before that so it was a 40 year old offense and they were still pursuing him so the people the put the the police who were involved in arresting him for the offense would have long retired but and maybe he was he still being pursued was very bad uh, well, it's my client John Killick who escaped from Silverwater Jail in a helicopter. So, so the, yeah, so, probably worth so pursuing. The, well, the uh, yeah, the authorities did not like him, so they certainly pursued him <laughs> for everything they could. But I was surprised by the level of emotion that the prosecutors and police in that case showed when they were some of them not even born when you know the the, the offence that occurred. Well, that just is reassuring to know that our police and our prosecutors are human and can have feelings about the matters that they are dealing with sure I, I you know i mean law what is it law is um reason without emotion and that is and that i think is a, an important um that is aphorism different. to keep in mind if you're a prosecutor and a police officer well well yes and i am very firm in teaching my students that the prosecution do not act for the victim they are there to serve justice and yes. i think that is the underpinning of prosecution that yes. you have to just present the evidence and not be invested if it's a not guilty verdict because you've done your job. Yes. But you also can't, you don't want people who are dealing with victims, families and accused and their families to not have empathy or no. an ability to feel. Yes. So, you know, sure. You don't like their feelings towards oh, your clients if they're guilty. That's you know normal. Um, I even suppose. when they're not guilty, I don't like the feelings towards them. But the so, uh, I mean, and the and the the issue is particularly in a case like Deidre Kennedy, a, a child murder, and and a, just a really horrible child murder. You know, I, I think I, I'm not saying emotions did play a, a, a part in it, but you know, you see from the fact that in the mid '90s, um, you know, what's that? Twenty years after the actual murder the authorities are still even even despite a an acquittal by a court of appeal still interested in pursuing the matter i think to be fair though to the police like i think if you search you would find media reports that focused on carol's acquittal yes. and the lack of justice for deirdre yes um so i think there was never really particularly locally, an abatement of the sense of dissatisfaction and yes. outrage. Yes. And, you know, that obviously we've talked about the yeah. role of the media, but it does, you know, it kept it in the forefront Absolutely, of people's yeah. minds. 
And I wonder how much the fact that he was convicted by a jury and acquitted on appeal had to do with it because I, I find people have great faith in the jury service. I mean, it, it's one of the few rights in our constitution, a, a trial by jury. Well, And so the conviction by a jury, I think people feel is a much uh, a more solid sort of um, decision. Finding. Yeah, finding than, um, than, you know, some, you know, judges in their ivory towers who decide on some legal point that the, he should be acquitted. Well, and I don't want to revisit things we've talked about but Baden clay mm. was convicted by a jury and the yes. court of appeal took it upon themselves to change the jury verdict yes and that i mean you think back to i think they the, did that rightly i must say I, I think the court of appeal in queensland's decision was right in that case and the high court was let's wrong let's not but, go down that path okay but but you think about in brisbane the reaction you know the front oh, page absolutely. screaming headlines people mm. gathering to mm. protest mm. you know because there was I guess, you know, let that jury mm. verdict stand. Yes. Mm. But, I mean, what we've known for 120 years more, that juries can get the, you know, get it wrong. And so our you, system has a, a fail-safe, a, I a, do a love court of appeal. that according to your point, you'll either say we need to have utmost faith in juries or we need to know juries get it I wrong. I think we should have <laughs> utmost faith in the jury service but understand they also get things wrong. Uh, all right. I think those two ideas can sit together. I know, but you trot them out according <laughs> to whatever point you're making. Yes, all right. So so the, so the prosecutors and the police are pursuing this. They have these three new pieces of um, evidence or, or supporting evidence, the, the more evidence about Carol biting his own daughter, the um, updated ontologic, ontolo odontology. Odontology, the We should apologise to all oh, odontologists. Yes. We're butchering this yes. profession. And the third one was, oh, I've forgotten it now, yeah. The jailhouse snitch. Oh, the jailhouse snitch. Mm. And so this is what they then decide, what do they decide to do? Okay, so they cannot, according to law, yes. retry him yes. for the murder. But a little bit of thinking outside the box. Which I think is always dangerous in a prosecutor because they should be legally conservative. What, but they yes. should have no creativity. Or... I, I, I think creativity okay. is dangerous in anyway, a prosecutor. Anyway, whatever. Yes. Um, I don't think it's a problem. So they decided to bring a perjury charge yes. against Carol. And that's because at his original murder trial, he got in the witness box and he said under oath, I did not take and kill Deirdre Kennedy. Yes. So perjury is where you have lied under oath. Yes. It is an offence and it carries a maximum of 14 years. It's yes. deemed a serious offence yes. by the courts. Rarely prosecuted. Though. Rarely prosecuted. Yes. And I used to love it in um, my Bean Lee court when um, witnesses would come in to be sworn in and our little bailiff, John, who I loved so much, he had a whole flip out folder of all of the different oaths and affirmations that yep. you could make and yep. you'd flick it out and wait for the right one to come up. But, I mean, it was a real process. You know, mm. you gave that oath or affirmation that you would give yeah. evidence that was true. Yeah. You know. And, and I mean, and those things that John are flicking out, just for those who didn't have the benefit of working as judges, clerks, as we did, they are, you know, you can be a, a Hindu and they've got the Hindu oath. That's right. You can be a Buddhist. I've got the Buddhist oath. They've got them all there. So if you want to take a religious oath, there's one there. If you want to take a civil oath because you don't, uh, you're not religious, there's one there. So Covered every... Mm preference mm. um, and so that was always a huge part of the witness process yes you know 
Anyway, so perjury trial. Yes. So he's brought to trial on that perjury charge and he is, in fact, convicted. Okay. I just want to um, emphasize, you might be about to go into this, but so the charge is that he, when he said, I did not murder Deirdre Kennedy, and he said that I, that was a lie. So to prove that is a lie, they have to prove that he killed Deirdre Kennedy. That's right. So this trial came on in 2000. Yeah. And yes, in essence, it was a retrial of the murder charge. It was a majority of the same witnesses being called, mm. the same testimony yep. being heard. Yeah. That new evidence yes. of the woman from Darwin yes. giving evidence about the injuries to Carol's yes. daughter. Yes. The evidence of Trevor, of what he spoke to Carol about in prison. Yes. And the advanced dental forensic match yes. that they had made with the bite marks. Mm. Uh, sorry, I probably should say that... You know, you you can as there's a procedural mechanism where if you're charged a second time and you say, well, I've already been convicted or acquitted of this charge, there is a procedural mechanism you can argue that before you even get to the trial. Can you say the French words? A uh, force acquit and a force convict. Um, yeah, I, don't know. I say it wrong every time. Do you? Well, I don't know. I say autrefois. Okay, that's probably no, that's much is. better. Let's go with that. Autrefois. Autrefois acquit, autrefois convict. So yeah. this is in the code, and it's a plea. Yeah, you, you, yeah, it's like a guilty, not guilty, yeah, plea. So that I found the judgment that was actually argued, and um, old Justice Muir, who is such a gentleman, he heard it and decided against it. Said that the perjury charge was not yeah. breaching double jeopardy, and that it could go ahead as a, a because it was different enough, I That's suppose. Right. Yeah, su summarising in a very broad way, his no doubt very good decision. Yeah, that plea wasn't open. So so they then proceed to trial. He's then convicted at trial. It then goes up to the Court of Appeal. Yes. Yes, it did. Uh, and so Court of Appeal, they his legal team argued that it should never have been allowed. It was essentially a do-over of the murder trial and it breached the principle behind the law on double jeopardy. Yes. So although it didn't breach the double jeopardy laws themselves. Yes. It was breaching the principle. And and am I right in saying that there was some in the in the law it was, as it was written in the code there's some provision that um, perjury is doesn't you know double jeopardy doesn't apply to if you're bringing a perjury charge it's different enough from um, whatever the original charge might have been that you How could How could that be in the law and these guys well, that's what oh, that's what I thought you were getting at when you said it was it was really against the principle rather than the the written word of the I don't of what's know in the code. I don't know about that yeah. particular exception, but but if we think about the importance of principles in our system, I mm. mean, some of the things that we hold most important mm. are principles rather than laws: yes. the right to silence, yes. the right to a fair trial, yes. you know, the burden of proof, all yes. of those things. So it's a fairly persuasive argument to say that an important principle like double jeopardy is being breached yes. and that held a lot of weight obviously with the Court of Appeal yes. because that was in fact what they based their decision primarily on, that this was a breach of double jeopardy, a yep. breach of finality yep. for Raymond Carroll. So we we'll probably explain finality, what's the – that's a – Principle. It's related to double jeopardy. Yes. So um, if you have been brought to trial, if yes. you've been investigated, charged, brought to trial and 
had a resolution to your trial, you have an expectation of finality, that that matter is now done and you don't have to live with it hanging over your head, unsure if you're going to be brought back into the system. Yeah. 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 And the Court of Appeal accepted all those defence arguments. Well, they didn't like the jailhouse Snitch, Snitch argument. testimony. I wonder why. They said he should never have been allowed to testify. Yes. Um, they also thought little weight should have been placed on the witness from Darwin. Yes, I agree. They said that there were some differing opinions about the forensic dental evidence, which was concerning. Yes. So they said the jury's decision was unsafe and unsatisfactory, but also that the entire trial had been an abusive process Yes. on the basis of... Double the double jeopardy. jeopardy. Yes. So he was allowed to walk free. Yes. And then interestingly, there's an appeal allowed by the prosecution. So usually when you are if you're acquitted by a jury, prosecution can't appeal. Mm. But if you're acquitted by a court of appeal, the prosecution can appeal. Which they did to the high court. To the court. high court. Um, all right. So the high court said none of the evidence that was presented was new and compelling. <laughs> yes. Oh, so let's, can I just jump in and explain yeah, sure. it since I have written a thesis on fresh evidence? <laughs> um, all right. So what I find is most people, lay people, lawn lawyers, have heard this term fresh evidence and new evidence and have some idea about what it is. But in short, it's evidence that the jury didn't hear, that somehow you've found out about after the trial. And there's a distinction between new and fresh evidence about you you know whether you it came about it, it sort of you, you found out after the trial when you should have known it before the trial and a few things like that which we don't need to worry about but um so uh the high court sound like they had some uh oh, sorry i should say because the jury trial is so important in our criminal justice system courts of appeal don't like to usurp the role of the jury and take over from them. And so if there's information that the jury should have heard that they, which they didn't, um, often that means that the matter will be sent back to be heard by a jury. So you, your conviction is quashed, but you're ordered to be retried. Um, and so it sounds... Sorry, there are some rare occasions when the evidence, the, this, this fresh evidence or new evidence that's before an appeal court is so compelling or so um, persuasive that the court doesn't bother to trouble a jury with it. They make the decision themselves that you are um, you're not guilty, so you're, you're acquitted and your, um, your conviction question, you're acquitted. And so that's what the, the High Court says in this case. Yeah. And so that obviously is the last, the last option in yes. terms of the system. So yep. if the High Court has made a decision, there's nowhere to go from there. That's right. So two acquittals, no charge, no conclusion to Deirdre Kennedy's murder. No one has ever been held responsible for that. That's yes. That's the end of the legal matters for Raymond Carroll. Yes. So what happened next? Well, it was again not taken, you know, all that well that he was free again. There was yes. still this sense of injustice or yes. dissatisfaction. And Deirdre's mum, Faye, she started to work towards some legislative change. She was in contact with um, people in parliament. Yes, She was pushing for what she wanted to be called Deirdre's law to be brought in, which would in effect mean that someone like Raymond Carroll 
who had been acquitted of a murder could in fact be retried for that charge if certain criteria were satisfied yes. legally. Yes. So that this kind of scenario wouldn't happen again. Yes. And it did take some time. So that perjury trial was 2000, I guess, by the time the High Court finished with it, a couple of years would have passed. Yes. Um, well, I wonder if this is so that our listener, Jessica Hodge, who, who suggested this, said she recalled um, that there was a petition at the local newsagent in Ipswich mm. for people to sign. And I wonder if that was a petition about changing the law. There was a petition. In 12 weeks, she got over 33,000 members of the community. 33,000, wow. Showing their support. Yes. What happened was this push for change was effective. Yes. We can't always say that. Often it does not result in change, even though people might sincerely desire change. Sure, change isn't um, always good though. So. No, but so this did happen. And so in 2007, Queensland's law was amended so that a person who had previously could previously been acquitted of murder yeah, it was it was it was restricted to very serious charges. Murder and manslaughter. Mor murder manslaughter, and wasn't there treason or something? Separately, well, so one one provision is if you've been acquitted of murder or manslaughter, you can be retried. Yeah. The other is if you have been convicted of an administration of justice offence, so perjury, jury tampering, yes, you know, obstructing the course of justice, those yes. sorts of things. Yes. Um, and fresh evidence came out, you could be retried. Yes. Well, and sorry, I want to say two things about that. So the the test is fresh and compelling evidence. Yeah, it's a fresh phrase, and compelling. That's right. And that has been determined by the Queensland courts and then subsequently other courts to be a very high threshold. Very high threshold, and not only that, it has to be fresh and compelling, and then also say that it's in the interests of justice yes. to retry. So yes. it's not even enough to show that it's fresh and compelling, which is very difficult to do. But then there's that little possibility that one of the key players might decide not in the interests of justice. Yes. So it's another threshold to pass. Yes. And and Queensland were the first in Australia to pass that legislation? Uh, let me tell you. New no? South Wales no. was 2006-ish as well. Right. So New South Wales... They were very affected in New South Wales by the Carroll case. Oh, really? Yep. In the second reading speeches that I read or the um, debates, there was a huge focus in New South Wales for the double jeopardy laws to be amended because of a different case altogether, the Bowerville murders. Ah, oh. uh, yes. Which we don't know if we'll go into that today. But also when they were discussing that, they also talked about Raymond Carroll yeah. and Deirdre Kennedy. So yeah. it definitely had far-reaching yeah. consequences yeah. Um, in terms of legislative reform. Um, so that was also around 2006. ACT in Victoria did not at that point make any changes. They refused. But then nine years later, the ACT did. Because it's a big, I mean, as, as you pointed out, double jeopardy rule, 800 years old. You know, double jeopardy is the kind of 
um, uh, you foundational. know, yeah, it's a foundational principle. It's a legal principle that lay people know. I think you'd probably stop somebody in the street and say, "What's double jeopardy?" Yep. And their answer would get you know in the ballpark of what That's it right. is. You know, so to to change that or go behind that, you can understand as something that governments might be a bit slow hesitant. to, yeah, hesitant yeah. to take up. So, so I mean, that's amazing that we got those amendments in two thousand and seven. Yes. What's not so amazing is that there have not really been any concrete flow-on consequences from those amendments. In, in a sense of... In what? a legal sense. Because so I, Nobody's ever been retried under them. That's right. Yes. So, I mean, initially the 2007 amendments, um, they put in those requirements, fresh and compelling in the interests of justice. Yes. It was not retrospective. So that meant that it would only apply to matters that were heard from 2007 on. Onwards, yeah. Which, I mean, if we think about the reason there was such a push, it was because of older cases where new evidence had come to light yes. so none of those cases would have been eligible i'm not sure there were too many i think this is quite a rare uh, you know well, I, I mean i don't think there'd been many applications no they haven't but but it meant that they were precluded yeah. and particularly carol's case was yes. precluded which was the impetus behind the change yes. let's be honest yes but that issue was addressed in 2014 when there were further amendments to recognize yes to recognize that carol would not have fallen within yeah, the, the amendments. Like there was specific reference to that case again in the amendments. Yes. Oh, sorry, not in the amendments. In, in the, the second reading second speech. Second reading speech. Yep. Um, and so then it was retrospective. And so, you know, I'm following along with this. Yes. Thinking, great, this is going to be some real legal reform and change that I can teach my students about. We're going to get some justice here. Mm, crickets. Yeah. No cases, no retrial, no recharging of Carol. And then in 2019, there was an application for a retrial under the exceptions. Not in Carol's case. Not in Carol's case. It was another case. It had to do with DNA on a pillow in a bedroom. Yeah. I, I won't go into depth on that case, but the end result was that the application for a retrial was denied. Denied because the test is so high. Because it was so high. So I did I did look at the reasoning of the court in that case. Yeah. So let me just tell you. Okay. And interestingly, the um, chief justice in this case was Walter Sofronoff. Oh, the president of the Court of Appeal. President of the Court of yes. Appeal. Who has recently been instrumental in the, DNA the new push for reform to DNA laws. Yes. So I think that's a nice, yeah. nice little... symbiosis. Yes. Is that a word? That I'd use it. I like that. Yeah, symbiosis. Um, we should throw it in more often. So, what what I thought was interesting from the the Tal case, mm. T A L, a um, pseudonym. Yeah, he couldn't be identified for a variety of reasons. Was they had a look at some UK cases because yes. our amendments were broadly based on similar laws in the UK. Yes. And in the UK, some of these cases have been retried. Yes. Um, which is <laughs> further ahead of us. So they first had a retrial in 2007. Yeah. Um, that was in relation to a murder. It was um, admittedly a circumstantial case. In that case, he was acquitted. Uh, but then 
Some years later, he was sentenced to imprisonment for other offences and while in prison, seemingly in aid of his own rehabilitation, he confessed to the murder. Oh, wow. So he was at once charged with perjury um, and during the investigations he again admitted his guilt and he was convicted of the perjury, sentenced to a term of imprisonment. That all happened before the reforms came in. in Queensland, okay. No, in the UK. Oh, really? Yep. So then when those reforms came in, the prosecution applied for a second trial for the murder that he had originally been acquitted of. And the Court of Appeal found in that case the confessions constituted new evidence, which was not merely compelling but overwhelming, uh, and did order the new trial. Wow. And then Mm -hmm. he was convicted not only of the perjury but then of the murder murder. itself. Yep. Wow, okay. Uh, There was another one in 2009 where an elderly grandmother had been raped in her home. There was no question that she had been raped. And the respondent or the accused was yeah. charged. He denied committing the offence or ever having had sex with the victim. He did have an alibi. The victim in that case gave somewhat contested and not very persuasive evidence identifying him yeah. as the offender. Yeah. And the rest of the case was circumstantial. So he was acquitted and the victim died. But years later, the accused's DNA was coincidentally matched to a sample of sperm that had been found in the victim's vagina and which had been preserved. And the court held that this was new evidence that not only confirmed the victim's identification of the accused, but demonstrated the falsity of the alibi evidence. And that was, of course, evidence of guilt. And that DNA evidence was deemed compelling and admissible. I wonder why they didn't do it at the time of the original investigation. Presumably that's the first thing you do in a rape case. Uh, Well, that was, so that appeal was in 2009. Yeah. So I'm guessing it was earlier than that because he got acquitted, then he had other charges, he got convicted, then the victim dies. So I'd say there's been a passage of time. So maybe the DNA evidence wasn't. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Another one. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this was one where a woman had been attacked and she had suffered severe head injuries from which she did later die. Yes. So the accused is charged with her murder. The evidence, again, was circumstantial. It included his having been seen in the location where she lived, Mm. um, as well as some differing and suspicious accounts Mm. he gave to police about his movements on the day in question. There was a questionable footprint that may have been his. Um, his boots were examined. No blood was found on them. And he denied murdering the victim. And he was acquitted by a jury. Yeah. He acknowledged that he knew her. He said he'd only rarely seen her, hadn't seen her on the day she was killed. Yeah. Yes, he's acquitted. Ten years later, yes. another examination of the boots revealed traces of the um, victim's DNA, mm. which on the evidence must have been deposited in her wet blood. And the Court of Appeal accepted this evidence as highly probative and, in effect, decisive in the case, mm. therefore meeting the threshold. the threshold. And he was retried? Well, I'm guessing so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. So the, the in, in Britain, um, that's It's not certainly... so difficult to retry. Yeah, I wonder what the test is. But they certainly try to... I mean, it's not just in Queensland that 
um, we've got a strict test, it's that applications weren't being bought. I mean, I think that that one in 2019 was either the first or the second ever bought. I, I'm pretty sure it was the first. First, I yeah. mean, well. And that, and it made headlines. you got to be in it to win it. Like, I mean, there, were, there was front page headlines yeah. about the fact that they were applying for a retrial. Yes. Obviously, they didn't know which case it was. Yeah. It was like the general public yeah. were interested and yes. invested yes. to see what was going to happen. Yes. And then nothing. Yeah, but I don't think well, that's a I test of like, anything, is it? I well, mean, I would like to the, know why. It's not the Roman Coliseum where we can all sit there and gawk over horrible things. I think, I think part of the problem is that the threshold test is so high that it probably is not pursued because of a knowledge that it will fail. And so I think is that then a problem with the threshold test, mm. you know, rather than a lack of cases that could in fact be dealt with if it wasn't such a... My recollection, and you would know better than I, was that the, uh, after 10 years, so this legislation was brought in 07, after 10 years, 2017, there was some kind of review of the legislation. Yeah, I think so. I don't know whether they said anything about that. I mean, I mean, there's there's a lack of imperial empirical evidence because it was a, there's only been what one application. So yeah. we don't know from that standpoint. But maybe the maybe you're right. Maybe the culture in the prosecution department is that there's no point bringing them. You'll never win. Well, I mean, it's hard enough on an appeal to argue new and fresh evidence. Yeah, but the prosecution are never arguing that. The defence are, so but that's, I don't know why you'd that's be complaining the, about. the precedent. That's the Yeah, but I mean one of the other one of the other principles behind the idea of making it a very strict test, besides the fact that it's going against double jeopardy, is the idea that you don't want to um, uh, allow the 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 prosecuting service, the police to just do a sort of a half assed job on the investigation on the basis I oh, would just have a second crack later mm. on if we don't Oh, look, we found this stuff. Oh, it fell behind the photocopier. Oh, here it is. We better, you know, why don't we have another go? You know, so 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 to hold the prosecutors and the police to a very high standard in terms of the initial investigation and trial, get it right the first time. Which is best for everybody. it's very hard to get a... Yeah, absolutely, it's best yeah. for everybody. But I, but I, I mean, I, I think that's an important principle to understand behind it as well, that, it, that, that they don't want to make it too easy lest it encourage police and prosecutors not to do their utmost in every investigation and trial. But I can tell you as well, like running a retrial is not something the prosecution loves to do. So but the statistics are that they win retrials more often than they win ordinary trials. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the number of times you you know people go, I've got a retrial, and you're like, eh, good luck, because the prosecution have seen the but defense hand by that stage. Oh, when you, you say win... You mean they get convicted for a second time? Convicted on, yeah, the chance of conviction on a retrial is much higher than it is on a first trial. How does that even make sense? Because they have to have been convicted the first time. Oh, sorry. Order. I thought you were talking about a, a well, when it's a, when there's a hung jury or a, Oh, okay. All right. I thought you meant after an appeal. Yes. No. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you get convicted and then you're retried and then you're so just convicted you, again. You've already been convicted. Yeah. Anyway, it's also not something that prosecution would be trying to do is run another case run a case for another time mm. like you know um all right so it's not quite the end of the story i mean it is for carol we have no more about him yeah well, and in fact yeah i i searched in depth yes 
it's like he's vanished off the face of the earth. Yes. Like I, I don't know if he is still alive. I don't know if he's moved or if he's died. Yes. There's just, which well, I don't blame him, I suppose. No, you want But to nothing about him. I think at one point he did go on 60 Minutes or something like that. Right. Um, and I'm pretty sure he took a lie detector test oh, right. and he passed. Yeah. But the um, interviewer, I think, still said to him, but, you know, isn't it just that you've convinced yourself that you're <laughs> not guilty? Well, they can have their cake and eat it too. If he fails it, they're like he's guilty. If well, he passes I know. It, they I know. Go, but well, so even then, I think that was in the 2000s. Yes. Late 2000s. Yes. Um, he was still He was still adamantly saying he was not guilty. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we have to recognize he has never wavered in his position that he is innocent. Yes. And according to the laws, he is. Yes. Well, he's, he's, he's got a fantastic record on appeal. He's won yeah. every appeal that he's gone to, he's won, which is amazing for but, a defendant. I mean, I know you have some issue with the odontology, but I, I also think if you did your 10 mouths and lined them up, and they picked his. Great. Then how would you feel? Run it. About how would you feel about the fact he's now been acquitted twice? Well, I think what I try to keep in mind is that the system is designed not to convict innocent people. It is not designed to convict all guilty people. So that means that you are going to have guilty people that get away. That's just a, a a cost that we that is that we have in our system because we focus on not convicting innocent people. And so that's saying, isn't it? Better to let better to let ten guilty men go free than have one innocent person convicted. Yes. So, and I think that in in the public commentary I see and read about criminal law it seems to be forgotten that we are trying not to convict innocent people. If we wanted to convict every guilty person, we absolutely could. But in that process, we would be convicting a lot of guilty people. You know, it's just like those gigantic um, fishing fleets that go out with enormous nets that go to the bottom of the sea and just pick up everything. Yeah, they catch all the fish they're looking for and a whole lot besides. So we could make the, the, the investigative procedures so tough for defendants and the trial procedures so tough for defendants that and so pro prosecution that we are convicting lots and lots of people, but in and we'd we'd get every guilty person, but we'd also get lots of innocent. Or it'd people. be like the witch trials, wouldn't it? It'd be like exactly. I think that's a great point. The, yeah. the Salem was it Salem well, witch trials? So many, but yes, Salem. Yeah. So you you died if you're innocent, and you were killed if you were guilty. Yeah, that's right. And you didn't have any opportunity to give call evidence, defend yeah. yourself. Yeah. yeah, I know. I I I respect the system. I do. But so let's finish on a little bit of recent movement in double jeopardy laws. Yes. So we, I think, have talked before about the DNA yes. lab and the fact that tens of thousands of samples were not correctly tested, yes. which means that if they are now correctly tested, it could uncover evidence yes. in cases that have already been dealt with. Yeah. yeah. So in Queensland, because of the work of Hedley Thomason, one of his podcasts, it came to light that the testing procedures at the forensic labs that were used by the police were not doing the right thing. 
And so that there was an inquiry into it led by Walter Sofronoff. And all of this was exposed publicly. And so there's been a clean out of and a complete re um, organization of the, of the forensic labs. But now there's this problem that there's potentially a whole lot of guilty people out there whose DNA was not properly detected when it could have been. But they've often gone to trial, been acquitted, and then because of double jeopardy, can't be retried. But why don't the new legis- why doesn't the new legislation cover it, Lizzie? So well, so the new legislation might, but even with the 2007-2014 reforms, it only applied to murder and manslaughter yes. or the administration of justice yeah. offences. Surgery, yeah. And so a lot of these samples relate to other types of offending, like rape, sexual offences, yeah. um, burglaries, yeah. assaults, and of course murders yeah. and potential manslaughters. Yeah. So. So should these DNA um, samples be tested and identify positively, allegedly, um, someone as the offender who has already been tried for a rape? Yes. We still have no provision in Queensland to retry that person because it might be fresh and compelling and in the interest of justice, but the legislation doesn't allow that type of charge to be retried. Yes. So we do have... a. New bill yes. before Parliament, yes. and I think they started back very recently, so maybe it'll be on the agenda. Yeah, and so they are expanding the double jeopardy exceptions, so you could have a retrial. Yes, to a further ten offences yes. to cover things like rape, sexual yeah. offences, assaults, that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, attempted murder, unlawful striking, causing death, killing an unborn child, incest. Um, so all of those will yeah. now be covered. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it clarifies that for the double jeopardy exception, evidence is defined to be fresh if it was not presented in trial and could not have been through reasonable efforts by the police and prosecution. So I was, yeah, I was going to explain that. Okay. So, I mean, because the, the problem is even if we or these changes go through, the argument might be, well, the police and the lab had this evidence and just and they didn't test it properly Mm -hmm. so it's not fresh evidence they had it they knew it they tried it didn't work so it's not fresh it's only new uh, evidence and there's some other rules around use of new evidence which generally makes it harder because the system is designed to try and make sure that the police do it right the first time yes Uh, and by not allowing you know things like this to come in so they've now got to legislate as well to get around the fresh and new evidence test that this uh, DNA will, I mean, effectively under that test you just read out, be deemed to be admissible, fresh, compelling. Yeah, whatever. so that that is the the hope that that's how it will. Not in my fact, hope. I mean, I, th- I mean, these are. Well, these you don't are, think these reforms are good? I, I I'm I haven't got a concluded view, but I'm very concerned by them because you know this this is what happens. We have a we have some ancient principle on which we operate our criminal justice system. We decide through legislative change to pare that back a little way and then as time goes by it's pared back more and more. And we see this with 
um, the right to silence. I mean, you, you, I'm sure you teach it. The right to silence was sacrosanct. But over the years, there's been, you know, legislation that in certain circumstances, there's no right to silence if you're being questioned by the triple, the Crime and Corruption Commission, for example. You know, and and you know, if you're pulled over by a police, or you know, if the police officer asks you the the registered owner of a car who the driver was, I have to tell them. Yeah. You know, and, and so, you know, and this is, I think another example we we have. Double jeopardy has been pared back for a very specific reason, and now that's being broadened. It has been broadened, but I mean, I, I also feel like the right to silence has been eroded, mm. um, and that's from a prosecutor's point of view. Mm. Like I do, I do have some concerns about that. But if we don't amend these double jeopardy laws in this way, I mean, we are talking so many potential injustices because of the DNA lab's systematic failure mm. to test properly. I mean, what other option do we have? Well, as I say, I, I'm not saying we should do this, but, I mean, you'd need to appreciate that an opportunity cost of our system is that guilty people get away. But this is a lot. Well, you know, like it, this sorry, isn't it's a, pot- a, lot, a lot of potentially potential. Potentially a lot. Potentially a lot. I know. And, and I think I think the the hesitation is natural particularly from a defense perspective Mm. but if we're thinking about yes the rights of an accused to a fair trial should be paramount and i i agree with that but also they're not the only rights you know what i mean so we can't ignore the rights of the victims and the rights of the community to have justice be served properly and it hasn't been because of the DNA lab. Well, so there's a potential that it hasn't been because there there will 100% be cases where that is established that there was not justice because of the lab's failures. I do not believe that in the tens of thousands of samples we're not going to solve cases that currently are not resolved. Statistically that's you're probably on a safe bet there, but but I mean, just so that people understand what you what you mean. So that means that the, a sample is retested, and it is then identified. It doesn't it's not conclusive the person's guilty. That is then just evidence that will have to go before a jury yeah. with other evidence to see if that person is guilty. That's right. So we're not saying, oh, let's just convict all of these people whose samples weren't tested properly. We're saying let's now put it back before the system, the system that is designed with the rights of the accused in mind. So it, the, it is opening the door to a retrial, yes. But we opened that door in 2007. Mm, I know, a little way, just a little way, and now we're opening it further. But in, I think in some cases, if we're thinking about our victims, of course the family of a murder victim, you cannot quantify their grief. But it's a life sentence for a rape victim, for example. They live with that for the rest of their life. It affects potentially every aspect of their life. So why are they not just as important in terms of a type of offence that should be open to this exception? You know, like it becomes this judgment call on, well, murder and manslaughter are the worst. Well, are they the worst in terms of impact on victims? When you think about... The living victims, who that is going to colour the rest mm. of their life. Mm. I don't think it's I don't think it's right to say, well, we'll allow it for the murder manslaughter, but the rest no. Like I think we have to acknowledge 
all of these are victims of very serious crimes who have been potentially exposed to injustice and that needs to be addressed. So I cannot wait for these provisions to come into force and let's just see what... Well, it's in bill form, isn't it? It hasn't yes, passed I'm saying I can't wait. There's an election coming. Not for eight more months. Let's get it through before then. <laughs> Come on, Parliament. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that is definitely, this is not, you know, we haven't closed the uh, the story on Double Jeopardy. Mm. I think there's going to be more to come. Yeah, so the, 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 the horrible murder of Deirdre Kennedy back in 1973 still reverberates in 2023, 50, or 2024, 51 years later. Yeah. Definitely, definitely that case was a huge impetus to change. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is, you know, I feel for the Kennedys, but I think fantastic for other potential injustices. Mm. We will see. Oh, that last little eye roll, you have to get it in. <laughs> um, so thank you to our... Jessica Hodge, thank you. I hope she she seemed to have great hopes that we would do a good job of it. I uh, hope we've, uh, we have. Nervous for the verdict yeah. now. I hope she'll message me and tell us. Um, but thanks, Joe. Thank you, Lizzie. Again, you've done such an incredible amount of work. I love a good... Well, I shouldn't say good story, but... I like to sink my teeth into Absolutely. Into I can't things. believe you read second reading speeches. That's unbelievable. Oh, I love a good second reading speech. Yeah. 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 Parliamentary debates. Why not? Yeah. Jump in. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Lizzie. Bye. Thanks for tuning into this episode. You can find links to the cases that we discussed in the description. You can also find a link to Guardian Criminal Law and a big shout out to them for making this podcast possible. The majority of criminal cases involve people, normal people, people like you, people like me, who find themselves in an unusual set of circumstances that would not usually occur in their life. My name's Mark Savick and I'm here to assist you with your criminal matter. I look forward to hearing from you and being of assistance to you. If you're interested in clips, you can look at them on Instagram and TikTok. Just search for Justice Matters Pod. See you next episode.